This podcast was created on the unceded land of the Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We respectfully acknowledge their ancestors and elders past and present. Welcome to the RMIT Culture Podcast, produced in collaboration with the Bowen Street Press. We're continuing on with our Melbourne Knowledge Week special series. This episode, hosted by Joel Humphreys, investigates the future of Melbourne as a digital blockchain-connected city. Melbourne's future as a digital city was curated and produced in collaboration with the Knowledge Week team at City of Melbourne and RMIT's ARC Centre of Excellence for Automated Decision-Making and Society. Hello, my name is Joel. I'm sitting in what used to be the outdoor dining area of the Shaw Bistro. The place has been completely vacated, the glass doors have been smashed in, the deck is covered in graffiti, dust and leaves. It looks like the police signs have been here for a while. Sometimes a couple of office workers have walked past, but otherwise it's pretty quiet here, just slightly west of the city centre. The Docklands has a particularly cold, concrete maze vibe to it that feels at odds with the rest of Melbourne. And I think a lot of Melbournians have responded to this by collectively boycotting the area altogether. But before the COVID pandemic, the office precinct was experiencing real growth. Now, as we've adapted to flexible working arrangements and Melbourne's return to office rate stays below 50%, the Docklands is, well, the Docklands is dead. I had a conversation with the co-founders of RMIT's blockchain innovation hub, Chris Berg and Jason Potts, and they shared some really interesting ideas for rejuvenating the Docklands and the Melbourne CBD using blockchain technology. Continuing the discussion from their Melbourne Knowledge Week event, Melbourne's future as a digital city, Chris and Jason talk about reinventing our CBD, their proposed idea for a Docklands DAO, and how new technologies like the blockchain can save Australia's supply chains and bring fruit and veg back to your local supermarket. Enjoy. So first of all, uh, happy fifth birthday to the Blockchain Innovation <laughs> Hub. Uh, you both co-founded the Research Centre at RMIT in 2017. Um, for our listeners who aren't entirely familiar with the technology, could you give us a bit of a run-through of what the Innovation Hub is investigating with the blockchain? Sure. So um, the RMIT Blockchain Innovation Hub is the oldest social science research centre into blockchain. So when I say social science, I mean the business disciplines. So uh, in fact, Jason and I here, we're both economists, but we work with political scientists, sociologists, lawyers, accounting scholars to understand what blockchain, um, not just how blockchains work, but how they can fit into an economy, what are the large changes that um, uh, th- this new technology will bring to the economy, to society, to communities, and so forth. Yeah, and blockchain is it's, it's, a, it's a new, it's the third generation of the internet. And what this does is it takes the internet from a distributed communication device to the sort of social media, social networking sort of thing that gave us Facebook and Google and so on and Twitter and takes it into the next level, which is digital ownership and identity and money and all of the basic infrastructure of an economy. And some of that stuff is is kind of tedious back office record keeping, um, just, you know, registries of just who owns what and, and all of those sort of things. But 
entire economies are built upon, you know, every time you do a transaction, a change of ownership occurs or, or whatever. It's, it's an updating of a ledger. Mm. And what we have now is the technology to create a global digital economy um, that everywhere the internet goes, uh, this, this, this economy can go. And that's an incredible thing because it just it just means we can we can build it again. We can build it without having um, sort of access control issues associated with whether you happen to be lucky enough to be born into a rich, mature country that's got high functioning governments and so on. Um, everyone has access to that. And innovation, we can we can innovate at the speed of digital, and that's the that's the sort of the new the big new thing. So we we founded the Blockchain Innovation Hub. Um, recognizing, okay, this is a major tech breakthrough. Um, computer scientists and engineers and so on, super excited about building that. But this is also massively disruptive of business and society. And we wanted to understand that. We want to understand what new sort of, you know, what type of businesses can you make in this? What, how, does, what, how does this affect civil society? What does, what does this mean for charities? What does this do for all of the things that, um, you know, that we can build on top of that? So we wanted to explore that. That's, that, was the, that was the starting point. Yeah, that's great. Um, the Hub has produced a series of reports considering the recent acceleration of digital technology due to the COVID-19 pandemic. What were some of the key findings of this research? Yeah, look, so uh, this came from an observation that we have just recently experienced two major shocks. The first one was the COVID shock, and um, it did everything from sending us home to work. It massively accelerated the digital transition. But the second shock was actually um, we're at the tail end of a multi-decade-long digitization of the economy itself. So this, the very same things that we've been studying and trying to understand for most of our careers in the technology space was, has been building and building and building and suddenly combined to this forced adoption that we all experienced. The question that we were asking, well, what does that do to um, space? What does that do to the city? What does that do to the geography of the city? Because it's not just we went home and started using not just our phones, but Zoom and Teams and um, all these applications. It's that we're staying digital. Those, uh, those changes have become permanent and they've become a permanent part of the way not just the um, a business is spaced across the city, but how it organizes itself. And so the hypothesis that we we, we began this project with was um, uh, that the same rapid adoption of technology that we saw is going to change not just how we organize our businesses, but how we structure the very things that we do within those businesses. It's going to change the shape and nature of companies. It's going to, um, there, there may well be smaller companies, lots more smaller companies rather than the big sort of large office block style companies that we're used to. Um, and the, the project was designed to investigate the implications of that for um, uh, you know, parts of the regions of the city, for supply chains, for cybersecurity, for governance. And, and on all those areas that I think Melbournians are very interested in. Mm. Yeah, and one of the key things that we, one of the key insights that we had on this is um, cities. You know, think of them; they're places that you go, you visit them, you live in them. They're, you know, they're 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 places, right? Um, but they're also technologies. A city is one of the oldest human technologies, where you take a bunch of people and you put them into the same space. And a whole bunch of things get easier. And what the, one of the crucial things that gets easier is creating and moving knowledge around. And so cities are, um, you know, they're not just places that we live. They're, they're a productive technology. You know, it's no accident that almost all of, 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 of the um, 
production in an economy takes place in cities, and that's been that's been true for, for forever, you know, for the last five thousand years. But because they're technologies, they can be subject to technological change, and that technological change isn't just sort of new, new roads and you know, infrastructure; it's new ways of organizing and communicating and and, and creating some things in that. So we wanted to look at cities as a a site of of social innovation, and that was the that was the sort of framing lens that we had on this. That this these massive disruptions that Chris is talking about, the um, in terms of you know health, dis, you know shock global health pandemic, and um, this sort of tech shock, both of them massively converged on cities. They're, they're mm. phenomena that, that concentrated there and, and, and disrupted it. But that shock is an opportunity for rebuilding, for innovation, and, and putting, putting, it, putting the city back together in interesting new ways. Yeah. Coming off the back of that, uh, the Herald Sun has recently been constantly kind of reporting that Melbourne is, uh, and I quote, uh, lagging behind the rest of Australia with a shameful return to office rate with the buildings in the CBD less than 40% full. Um, so there's obviously the, it's contentious point. It's like half the kind of city, like not half, but like there's people who really want to be flexible. And then you also have this like other media kind of side that's been like, there's not enough people in the office. It is. And it, 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 I think it's an important point. So the there is no going back to an idealized version of the pre-COVID city. I think that's that 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 is the overwhelming takeaway I hope from our reports that there has been a massive change. We don't have a perfect city in our mind. The ideal city for us is one that is productive and innovative and exciting. It's for the people who want to use it and enjoy it. It's not to get back to, well, the five-day a week in the office or or even to go entirely to work from home. It's whatever Melburnians and anybody who wants to live in Melbourne discover its best uses. Is. And, and that's a key point because it's not a, I mean, a city is an economic engine, but it's not, its purpose isn't to make the most money. Its purpose is um, to produce the most value for for its citizens that, that live there. Now, some of that value might be cultural, some of it might be non-market, some of it might be environmental, some of it, you know, it could be, it could be a complex mix of things. And it's that's that's what we're trying to discover. Um, include and the basic test of that is: Do people want to come here? Hmm. And and you know that's the that's ultimately the the measure of, of what success looks like. And you know so that this that sort of vision of, of of what we can do that's that's the moment we're in right now. And it's a pretty special moment. You, you don't normally get it concentrated like this, where the future just opens up and presents a, a whole lot of pathways forward. Okay, I want to take a second to unpack what we've heard so far. I'll start from the top and keep it fairly simple. What is the blockchain? I want you to imagine an Excel spreadsheet. You may use one to track the sales at your workplace or track the attendance of an event. Now imagine that same spreadsheet at work was duplicated thousands of times and every single company, every workplace, worked off that exact same spreadsheet. All of them updating in real time, so it's the same across the board. I know, it sounds like a lot, but that's the blockchain. Jason calls this the third generation of the internet. Chris Berg and Jason Potts started the Blockchain Innovation Hub to investigate how the blockchain, this global real-time spreadsheet, can be used to better business and society. The Blockchain Innovation Hub just released a report that explores how the COVID pandemic accelerated Melbourne's adoption of digital technologies and investigated the implications of this digital acceleration for parts of the city. Chris and Jason say 
that there is no going back to a pre-COVID city, and they're trying to discover what Melbourne may look like in the future and how it can best serve the people living in it. Let's go back to the interview. I can imagine that uh, the idea of what can the city do for the people living in it and how the people living in it actually can change the way the city works really ties in with the idea of a DAO um, in particular. Uh, in your second report, you propose that Melbourne builds a new digital inf- economic infrastructure with DAOs. Um, before we get into what this means for Melbourne, could you explain to our listeners what a DAO exactly is, what it stands for? Yeah, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> so DAO is is a, a new type of organisational form. So we've got, at the moment, we have companies or you know or firms um, that, that are legal legal persons that come together and you they hold assets and they you know you work for them and they 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 um they hold employment contracts and you know lots of the modern economies and societies are organized around companies dao stands for decentralized autonomous organization what it is is a is a, an organization that's built natively on the internet made of smart contracts or just software but the the breakthrough here is the idea that it doesn't, it's not a hierarchical firm that has a boss and then you've got the sub bosses and all the way down to the workers and, and so on. What a DAO is, is recognizing that now that we've got you know, the internet, that we've got blockchains and we can start to build you know, um, smart contracts on that and start to build organizations and agreements natively on the internet, we can start to have all sorts of new types of organization where a group of people come together to collectively own a resource and do stuff. That's a city, mm. right? That's a, a group of people, could be people in a, in a, in a city or a neighborhood or a, or a building, come together and go, you know what? We all collectively want to do a this. We want to make this street better or we want to pool our resources, which could be data or it could be owning a building or just anything where a group of people come together to pursue a common mission. And now we can do it without having this sort of you know, military hierarchical form that we've had to use for the last 500 years. So if we're, if we're reimagining a city and we think of a city as made of not just a bunch of individuals who happen to occupy the same geography, but a group of people that share the same interest and want to sort of start to build up common assets or, or resources or, or, or just share things of value, mm. right? Um, we can start to use DAOs as a new type of organization, a new type of civil society organization. And it's not a you know, necessarily for business purposes. It's just for any cooperative purpose where a group of people come together to do something. So we propose that one of the things you can do is um, we could pull data. So um, as you go about your business in the city, you're throwing off data all the time. Um, we could collectively own that data. That that data, the ownership aspect of this is what the DAO is doing. The DAO owns the data, but every person or citizen that's a member of the DAO and you, how you. What membership looks like here is that you have a token that enables you to sort of make governance decisions or voting decisions about what to do with that. Um, we can start to create new types of resources in the city. And this was our idea that at the moment when one of the resources that could potentially exist in a city with this with these new blockchain technologies is um, we could we could create huge data trusts mm-hmm. and just pull all that data and that data becomes valuable. Um, we can invite other companies in to use that data and charge them for it and then give those resources to people in the city. Um, That, once you think about that, that's a possible way of actually funding public goods in the city. So instead of this, this could be an alternative to to, um, sort of council taxes or other ways of raising revenue in that. Yeah. You make the case for the Docklands DAO in particular. Um, What are some of the problems currently facing the Docklands 
that can be fixed with a DAO, you think? Look, I, I think the key thing that we were thinking about with the Docklands DAO is that it's a it's a community that hasn't fully cohered. It was a um, it was established as a as an initiative from the state government. Um, but for various reasons, it hasn't been able to um, govern its own space as a distinct and discrete community. Um, we think that a DAO structure actually would allow for that. We think that a DAO structure would allow for greater collective sharing of things of value, whether it's the data that Jason was referring to or some sort of you know treasury that could support public goods. Um, it's actually a really exciting space for that sort of social experimentation. Look, there are other places in, in, in Melbourne or indeed the world that we could establish any DAO. And one, one of the exciting things about a DAO is you can be part of multiple DAOs and you can have sub-DAOs. Um, they are really communities of individuals with shared interests. So, you know, you, you, in the future, we expect that you'll be a member of a local DAO geographically defined. You'll be a member of a DAO um, that might reflect your relationship to a hobby or to an online community that you have a um, affinity with. There's a wide variety of ways we can structure um, uh, these DAO community relationships. People are kind of communing in their kind of suburbs and things like that on like Facebook groups. I think my parents are on like the Botany Facebook group in Sydney and like <laughs> my sister. Well, I'm on my local Facebook yeah. group as well because it's convenient, right? So, um, yeah. and, and there is a sense of, I mean, there are odd places, these community Facebook groups. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but what, 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 it's an interesting comparison. We, we've had online communities and we've had them really since the internet began and certainly since the first forums were released in the 1990s. Um, but those communities have never been able to um, act together. There have always been discussion communities. There have been no infrastructure available to them to have any shared items of value, any um, way to manage the access into and out of those communities. And that's what DAO infrastructure provides them. Um, it provides a way that we can take all these exciting local and even global communities and we can allow them to work together to pursue shared goals with real resources. Yeah, and, and then that's the key point, is that the, the sort of Web2, Facebook type things, they're, they're amazing communication infrastructures, but they are terrible ownership infrastructures and coordination infrastructures. And like they're, they're, not, they're not companies. They're not, they're not designed to hold and pool resources and, and own things and make collect decisions. They're designed to discuss. They're, they're a communications tool, not a, not, a, not a far more powerful organizational tool. And that's what, what DAOs do, is that they have, they have a layer of communication in them, but they also have a layer of contracting and ownership and execution and voting and governance and all, all that, that full stack that enables them to be far more powerful and functional. I'm part of a really good one, actually, at the moment. Uh, it's called Queer Museum of Digital Art, and it's uh, like a museum DAO, and we collectively collect artworks wow. from across the internet. And, and that's a really good example, right? So it's, it's digitally native. It's of a particular community that has a particular bond to the other members of those community. Um, it's motivated by intrinsic value. It, it wants to seek things together, and it's, it's um, uh, it, and it's got a clear purpose, right? Um, 
there, there's a reason that you would want to be part of it. There was a, there's a reason for it to do particular things, and there's a reason that you'd want it to be democratically organised. Um, again, it speaks to, like, we're just discovering what they can be used for. Um, and we suspect that the... Um, the nature of there are so many communities on the planet that are underserved by the infrastructure that they are presented with right now. Um, DAOs can be that infrastructure. They are a enormous new menu of ways we can organise ourselves. Um, you know, new technologies don't come fully labelled with what they're for. The, the capabilities, the value. It's not the case that this new technology is has this value and you use it for this. That's that's not how tech works. Tech comes in. And it's a capability to do something. And the hard bit is figuring out what the best, most interesting uses are and what the costs and benefits and consequences of that and who is it value to. And again, that's that's all experimental. The, the fastest way to do that is just to start building stuff and see what blows up. Yeah. Um, what's next for this? Can this become a reality? How would that's go. How would you go about that? Yeah, I mean, there, there's frankly, there's two parts. So um, we've proposed this to policymakers, and you can imagine a situation that policymakers take these recommendations on board, help establish a DAO, and so forth. But I, I'm not excited by that. What I'm excited by is individual communities deciding to adopt this technology themselves. Um, uh, the, you know, the thing about the Docklands, unfortunately, is that it doesn't feel organic. Um, uh, it doesn't feel like it's community driven. I think that these sorts of technologies are best when they are organic, when they are community driven. So we can recommend the policy makers investigate how best to support these sorts of things. But I really think that the technology has to be adopted by the communities themselves. And this also goes to the role of universities in this. I mean, we, we sort of, we're very proud to be part of this, at RMIT University uh, and the Blockchain Innovation Hub. But how we see it is you know, the role of universities isn't to invent new technologies and push them out into the world and say, you know, good luck, everyone. We've, we've done our work now. Universities not just produce knowledge, we help understand and frame knowledge. And, and you know, we, we sort of see our role here is in doing everything we can to support and facilitate that process. Yeah, totally. Now I want to kind of shift the conversation away from DAOs a little bit. Supply chain issues have been a logistical nightmare for Australians since the start of the pandemic. Um, how can the new technologies like the blockchain and artificial intelligence be used to develop more resilient and responsive supply chains? Yeah, there, there are a lot of interesting problems in supply chains. Mm. And obviously we've seen a lot of um, pretty significant it's not weaknesses per se, but they weren't as resilient as we were hoping in situations of extreme extreme stress. Um, we've always thought about blockchain in the use of supply chains as a way to make those supply chains function better so that there's more information in the supply chain. There's more information about the goods that are traveling on them. There's more information available to supply chain managers about um, where goods are, where the connections are, where potentially there are weak links that could be made more efficient or more effective. We've been looking at this since well before the pandemic. I think what the pandemic brought out to us was the scale of the opportunity. Um, and the scale of the opportunity is is the fact that some of those supply chains were just not as resilient as we needed them to be when we needed them to be. Now, to be fair, we've never ordered as much as we have online before. We've never um, uh, consumption 
globally speaking, moved massively to physical goods um, uh, gl- being shipped global. And I think you can make an argument that supply chains have worked incredibly well given the circumstances. Um, uh, uh, but having said that, I think the, um, the, the opportunity for improvement has become abundantly clear. There's another aspect to this, that supply chains have also experienced their own digital tech disruption here. And if you think, you know, what, what a supply chain is, is it's a production process that plays out over a geography where you've got something is grown or d- dug out of the ground or pulled out of the ocean here, then it's put on a ship or a truck and then it's disassembled or reassembled into something else and it's put in boxes and da 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 So a bunch of steps, each of those steps is different. Um, each of the, and, and it, right at the end, consumption, right? So it's a it's a production process that takes that place across a whole bunch of different different steps. Um, the most efficient way to organize that is one single company owns the whole thing because what that does is the information is within the company the whole time. So the, you know lots of complex technologies and production processes, but from a keeping track of you know what fish is it and you know what what you know all of the inf- the information about it stays with one company. Now supply chains are the problem of what happens when you have multiple companies, and every time the company that owns the the and whether the fish harvesting thing is a different company from the fish processing thing, is a different company from the distribution thing. Information has to be handed off. And at that point, that's where you know, a lot of the cost and complexity and problems happen, not because of the fish moving along, but because of the information about the fish. Where is it? Um, who owns it now? Who's responsible for it? What prices is it? You know, and then that's insurance aspects of it and logistics aspects of it and compliance aspects of it. And a modern supply chain is basically mostly made of just verifying and checking information at each handoff point between each different company. So going back to the, you know, the, the company technology. Um, blockchain comes along and goes, solution. Um, verifiable, auditable information that can be, ver- that can be read um, by anyone at any point along that supply chain. And sort of blockchain technologies represents a massive step change in the cost of doing that. Yeah, I can, I, it's really well explained because I can imagine each company would have a different software that each one is running that doesn't speak to the other one and then they you know they're talking to each other but they're just completely messing up yeah and yeah. historically it's been very difficult to upgrade um uh digital software across multiple um companies in a supply chain there's been some interesting examples but um it tends to be most effective when there's a really dominant supplier in the supply chain, like there's a Walmart and Walmart can say to every supplier of Walmart, like you will adopt this technology because it's, it's, it's the, it's the big kid in the room, right? Um, getting the, getting a, a bunch of smaller suppliers to adopt technology together, I think requires a coordination tool and, you know, uh, to, to tie our two topics together, what better coordination technology, community-owned technology than something like a DAO, something that everybody owns their own share in and thus has a incentive to work together to build something of value to all members. So I, I think there's just a, as I said, I think there's a really powerful menu of tools and technologies now that we can solve many of the older problems, that some, some of which we've forgotten we had. Uh, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me. That was really fascinating, interesting, and it was a pleasure. No, pleasure. My pleasure, Joel. Great. Thanks so much. 
Thanks again to Chris Berg and Jason Potts for joining me in the studio to talk all things Melbourne and the blockchain. This was the last episode of our series continuing the conversation from Melbourne Knowledge Week 2022. If you want more Melbourne knowledge, RMIT Culture has an ongoing partnership with the Knowledge Week team at the City of Melbourne and collaborates on Melbourne Conversations, a series of free discussions in the city exploring issues and topics of interest to all Melbournians, running on the third Wednesday of every month. We'll link in the show notes. Bye. You've been listening to the RMIT Culture Podcast. We'd like to thank our guests, Chris Berg and Jason Potts. Our production team, Carly Godden, Kelly Boyman, Joel Humphreys, Mia Purvis and Michelle Swirsky. For more episodes, subscribe to RMIT Culture wherever you get your podcasts.